Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, April 5th, and today, Tina Wynn is here to do a little postmortem on J.D. Vance's victory in the Ohio Republican Senate primary, thanks to a late assist from Donald Trump and a big financial push from Peter Thiel. I'll ask Tina, is the hillbilly elegy author a real red meat populist or just a Yale poser? And later on in the show, Ben Landy stops by to tell us what else Puck is looking at this week. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Happy Cinco de Mayo to the Puckiverse. Uh, that's what I decided to call it today. I'm joined today by Tina Wynn, who is our resident expert in all things conservative, MAGA, etc., cetera, uh, which lately means a lot of Republican primaries, including, Tina, this past Tuesday's Senate primary in Ohio. Um, it was down the stretch. It seemed to be kind of close, a little bit of a three-way race. Uh, but in the end, J.D. Vance, the VC bro, author of Hillbilly Elegy, backed by a Peter Thiel super PAC, and eventually backed despite all the shitty things he said about Donald Trump, by Donald Trump himself. And I think that's probably the reason, Tina, that J.D. Vance pulled it out in the end. Isn't that the case? I think it's two different things. And, like, the more I talk to people who've watched that race, the more they break it down to a combination of both Trump giving J.D. Vance the endorsement and then Peter Thiel spending a crap ton of money to advertise that, like, crazy all over the state of Ohio. Um, This Politico report came out, Today, uh, revealing that Teal spent about $15 million on the race. And I think that's one of the single biggest donations to a super PAC that anyone's ever, like an individual has ever given said PAC ever. The thing is, is that thanks to the magic of super PACs, J.D. Vance can have a generous sugar daddy in <laughs> Peter Teal. And who, everyone who's listening, read this thing that Teddy wrote about yes. um, Teal's weird political strategizing, which I mean, just to boil it down is he really wants these two protégés of his, Vance and Blake Masters in Arizona, to win their Senate races. And no one really knows exactly what other political money he'd be throwing into the Republican Party after that, or whether he's just going to take all of his money and go back to California and create his little intellectual dark web circles. But with Vance winning in Ohio and likely winning that Senate seat overall, Teal has a direct pipeline into Congress right now via this man who's screamingly populist and got elected in a state where there were establishment candidates who tried going MAGA, establishment candidates who didn't go MAGA, and rich people who tried to run off of their business record. J.D. Vance had none of those things. He had a famous book and Peter Thiel 
And that's sort of his resume, although he was really good at tapping into a populist energy that really resonates in Ohio. So I'll give him credit for that. When was the Trump endorsement of J.D. Vance? I think it was about three weeks ago. There was this big uh, palace intrigue over who Trump was going to endorse. Like they all went down to Mar-a-Lago. They all kissed the ring. Trump was going back and forth between people and going like, oh, I like how you play golf or I don't like how you conducted yourself during that debate. I think he literally told J.D. Vance that he liked the way his he liked his golf swing. (laughs) Really? Yep. Okay, just to back up for the people listening who didn't follow the ins and outs of this Ohio Senate race. So the front-running candidate for a long time was Josh Mandel, who's a former Ohio State treasurer. He's run Mm -hmm. for, I feel like, a bunch of offices in Ohio and lost. He very quickly early on embraced full like conspiracy theory, stop the steal, I'm a hard right Trump guy. And he like put it off to the top very quickly. A bunch of other big spenders went up and down. After the Trump endorsement, J.D. Vance went from like- Like third. Third place. But he was also like at like 11, 12% in the polls and then started creeping up 23, 26%. And then eventually he won with 32% of the divided primary vote. But he was basically a full 10 points ahead of Josh Mandel. I mean, I thought Josh Mandel was a total phony uh, and I've- covered him before and it just seems like a striver and kind of a weirdo. And that's one thing I read is that Trump like saw Mandel and like thought he was kind of a weirdo Mm -hmm. and then looked at J.D. Vance and was like, well, this guy like is articulate and presents well on television, even though he said bad things about me in the past. And it made me think too, like Lindsey Graham or any number of other Republicans all said shitty things about Trump back in 2015 and 2016. The question was, did they then come around and like start to kiss his ring? And that sort of like feels like what J.D. Vance did. And that was fine with Trump. I mean, look, remember how a couple weeks ago there was that major bombshell that dropped in that New York Times book by Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns say with freaking tapes of Kevin McCarthy yeah. saying, I'm going to ask Donald Trump to resign because he can't survive this January 6th stuff. And then Trump was totally fine with it. The calculus in Trump world and getting Trump's uh, love, I guess, is, okay, yeah, you you could have hated Trump in the past, but as long as you come around and the scales fall off your eyes and you realize how wrong you were, then, you know, all's forgiven. It's a very dependent relationship, I'd say, but it's effective as hell, and that's, like, erased any Trump critic's multitude of sins. It's interesting to me because a lot of the postmortems I've been reading about this Republican primary are advance is this hard-edged populist and he'll be entering the Senate as a hard-edged populist. But like, he's still a guy who like was a Romney sort of Jeb Bush type, went to Yale. But is he authentically a raging populist? And like McCormick in Pennsylvania is the same way. Like, are these guys just doing an act so they can win and then they'll be a little bit less Trumpy in the Senate or are they going to be Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. I think either Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greene campaigned with Vance. I think it was Matt Gates. So I can't see J.D. Vance suddenly not becoming a populist and being a Washington guy. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I actually think that's authentic to what he was when he wrote Hillbilly Elegy. I was rereading it the other day and 
there was a lot of anti-elite sentiment mm-hmm. in it. I think mm-hmm. he says at multiple points that the reason that there is abject poverty in Appalachia is because of, I would say, misguided liberal spending and welfare. If you go all the way back to that, he does not like the liberal elite. He accidentally ended up in the liberal elite, but the fact that he grew up in this environment and then went to Yale does not necessarily mean that he's dropped all of his preconceptions and observations and then was like, now I am a member of, you know, the eating clubs. That's a that's a really good point. I I am not a fellow traveler with J.D. Vance. I don't know the guy. I would never claim to be a hillbilly, even though I come from hillbilly stock. But like if you come from the South culturally or you come from a lower class, I can sort of see how you at once want to be part of that elite universe while at the same time being like, you guys are kind of snobs. Like you guys don't understand us or, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying, I can sort of see where JD Vance would adopt a, something of an oppositional worldview to the snobs who like wrap their silverware and like white napkins at the, at the, oh at the Yale club or whatever, you know? And like, I don't identify with that, but I can, I can see how just because you leave Kentucky or Ohio and go to Yale that you don't become like a total snooty guy. And and he's clearly ambitious. He clearly wants to be president one day. He's just one of those guys. And he thinks he has the connections and the quote unquote common touch to get there. And he will do whatever it takes. And he clearly did in this primary. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing that I would kind of want to seed in everyone's consciousness right now, like depending on how the GOP primaries go, not necessarily if they win all of the seats, but like depending on how the primaries go, if there is a reasonable expectation coming out of them that more populist candidates are going to win these races, if they're going to be the future of the GOP, I wonder exactly how much power Mitch McConnell's going to have going into the future. He is the most powerful Republican in Washington right now, but if his power is being challenged by Hawley and whoever is about to join Hawley in the Senate, then I don't know. I expect to see freaking fireworks come out of the Senate by the next term. Yeah, I would just say, and for the people who listen to the Puck podcast, that you might not be following the Ohio Senate primary, this is one to watch the Ohio Senate race going into November. J.D. Vance will have the full-throated backing of the MAGA universe in a state that not two presidential cycles ago was competitive and has now drifted plus 10 Republican against Tim Ryan, who is from the Mahoning Valley. He's like full-blown union Democrat, like blue-collar guy. And he, out of the gate, after J.D. Vance won the primary, dropped an ad, not calling J.D. Vance a Trumper or a MAGA freak. He positioned the campaign as a choice between himself, a guy who is against outsourcing and cares about labor unions and cares about the working man in Ohio against a rich guy who like came to, he's a carpetbagger who, you know, only cares about his bottom line, basically blue collar versus white collar. And that might be a tough argument for Tim Ryan to win in a state that's gone so far to the right uh, in the Trump era, but it'll be a really fascinating contrast if he can pull off his shared Brown Act against J.D. Vance. And I would I would encourage everyone to put that Senate race on your on your radar for the next five months. 
Yeah, do it. It's awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's so awesome. You'll be better. You'll be better informed about the state of our world by it. Tina, thank you so much. Uh, now go back and cover Pennsylvania for a few more weeks. Uh, <laughs> bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to check in with Ben Landy, our executive editor at POC, to see what's going on in his world right now. Hey, Peter. There are so many big storylines that I'm watching this week, but here are three that are on the top of my mind from the Puck newsroom. First, as Bill Cohan would likely tell you, the Fed raising interest rates this week by 50 basis points is a really big deal. It's actually the biggest hike in two decades, and it's obviously also long overdue, not just because of the recent bout of inflation we've seen across all sorts of different consumer categories, but also this comes after a dozen or so years of easy money policies that have injected extremely hot jet fuel into every weird crevice of our market, into meme stocks, into shit coins, monkey NFTs. I don't think that the bloodletting is over in the market, but the correction is going to progress in different ways across different asset classes, which is how you get a hedge fund legend like Bill Ackman trying and failing to catch the falling knife in Netflix, but also Warren Buffett on a buying spree the past couple of weeks. We will also have more later this week on the stunning Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. The most profound impact will be on women, of course, but I'm also interested in the broader electoral calculus that flows from what is really a once in a generation black swan political event. That's not to say that Republicans haven't been working incrementally towards this very moment for decades, really since abortion was legalized. But I don't think anyone really knows yet to what extent this is going to spur Democrats to action, both in the midterms, whether it depresses turnout in 2024, but also how the party can evolve in its leadership and its grassroots structure to build a real counter movement around this issue. Democrats often get caricatured as woke campus radicals by their critics, but the reality is that the party is mostly pearl-clutching institutionalists who are too afraid of wrist-slapping by editorial boards to do anything bold like pack the court or eliminate the filibuster. That might be for the best, but Mitch McConnell certainly wouldn't hesitate if the ball was in his court. Finally, Peter, I was laughing to read that Elon Musk has been telling potential co-investors in Twitter that he could take the company public again in a year or two, Uh, not just because it's what Bill and Teddy both predicted here on the podcast and at Puck, but also what it reveals about Elon's pretty cynical genius. I don't doubt that he has real convictions about the importance of free speech, but of course he has structured this buyout using a combination of debt and leverage and other people's money in order to sell it back at a higher price. That's just the old private equity trick. The good news for Wall Street and hopefully for the long-term success of Twitter is that Musk's incentives here are actually aligned with strengthening the business. 
And he cannot do that by turning Twitter into just another version of 4chan. All right, that's everything that I've got. Thanks, Peter. Talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.